I don't know how many times I have said in life, I'm praying for you. It, it would probably be countless thousands. I'm guessing that would be true for a lot of you too. If you've, if you've been in church for any amount of time, grown up in church, grown up around people who are praying. I mean, that's just kind of a common thing we say to one another, isn't it? I'm, I'm praying for you. There would also be another number that I'm not sure how many times it would be. And that's how many times I've said I'm praying for you, but I didn't. Now, don't look at me like that because you didn't either. I mean, I'll guarantee you, there's not a person in this room who has not at some point uttered the phrase, I'm praying for you, but you didn't. Now, I'm not saying every time you've said that you didn't pray. No, I'm sure. I would assume there's a lot of times, most of the times you did. But there were times you didn't. Now, I, I don't think the reason for that, for you or for me, is because we don't believe in the power of prayer. That, that's not why we didn't do it. It's not because we didn't actually care about that person and, and whatever it was that we said we'd be praying about. I don't think it was because even necessarily that we forgot. That, yeah, that probably is a part of it. We, you know, we forgot. I, I think a lot of it, the reason it happens, folks, is because that statement's just kind of Christian lingo, isn't it? It's just the way we end some conversations, especially if the conversations have, you know, contained any kind of hint of bad news or something not quite right. It's just kind of a natural way to kind of wrap things up and say, you know what, I, I, I'm praying for you. But we say that with really, I mean, honestly, little to no thought, uh, any commitment of actually going before God on our knees and lifting that person up in prayer. Now, I know there's got to be at least somebody in here right now thinking, well, well wait a minute, I, you told me last month you were praying for me. Are you telling me now you were lying? No, probably not. It was actually years ago. I mean, like, like 10 years ago that I got very convicted about, I mean, I, don't, I just started noticing that, that I would say, I'm praying for you, and, and then I would, you know, kind of come to the realization, I guess probably next time I saw somebody, you know what, I didn't. I didn't pray for them. And God just really placed that conviction on me to stop using that phrase if I'm not going to do it. And so, boy, at the very minimum, I mean, if it's no more than as I'm walking away, I, I begin praying right then. Many times it does make it to the prayer list. And I am covering that in prayer. But, boy, God just convicted me. Hey, Randy, man, you're their pastor. It's your job to be on your knees for them before me. Now, is what I just said any less true of you than it is me? I mean, I know I use the word pastor, but honestly, folks, if you flip through the New Testament, you're not going to find a verse that says, and the pastor should be praying this much more than the people. It doesn't say, you know, now this is really, I want you all to pray for one another, but I'm really counting on the pastor to carry that. It doesn't say that. What it does say over and over and over is that all of us, regardless of title or position, man, we're to be praying for one another, aren't we? And sometimes we do. Sometimes we do pray for one another, and sometimes, sometimes we don't. Man, sometimes those are good prayers. Man, we, we pray with conviction. We pray with fervency. We, we've got a sense of understanding about what's going on there. And, and then, there's, then there's other times the prayers are not that good. I mean, we prayed. But we just kind of muttered some words. Wasn't sure if it's what we should be praying or not. We, but we prayed. But it does mean something to us, doesn't it? 
Don't we all want to know, like to know that, that somebody's praying for us? Doesn't that mean something to our lives? You know, in 1985, I was in the, uh, what was then the Soviet Union, and I was in Moscow for a period of time, and you know, I found myself, I'd be walking down the, the street and I would, I would see something. This happened a number of times. You know, I, I, I don't know what attracted me, but, I, you know, I saw something and I would just begin to pray for that person. D- didn't know their name, didn't know about anything going on in their life. But, you know, I could pray, you know, God, I, I pray your will in that person's life. I pray you're revealing yourself. If they're a believer, I pray they're growing in you. I pray they're growing in their knowledge of you. I pray you're using life's events to communicate your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, if they're not a believer, if they're not a child of God, I pray you'll use today's circumstances to bring them one step closer to when that moment happens. You know, and when you're walking through at least what at that time was a predominantly atheistic society for decades, and you start praying for somebody, you know, I had the thought, I wonder, I wonder if I'm the only person that's ever prayed for them. I mean, I don't know that it means anything, it's just kind of a weird feeling. Or you could say it's kind of an awesome feeling. And that person, they're, they're 27, they're, they're 47. And on their entire life on this planet, I'm the only person who's ever lifted them up before the Lord. It's kind of a weird thought. I don't know if it was true or not, but just kind of had that thought. You know, I wonder if there's people in here today. You don't maybe wonder if somebody's ever prayed for you in your whole life. Gosh, I hope not. I would hope most of us, if not all of us, can at least say, well, you know, I know grandma did. I know that person at work, that friend. Man, I know they they probably did. But even though you might be able to travel back to somewhere in your life where you were certain that somebody was praying for you, maybe maybe today, right now, you're, you're kind of wondering, gosh, I wonder if anybody knows. I wonder if anybody cares. I wonder if anybody's praying for me and what I'm going through. Boy, folks, I got incredible news for you today. The answer is absolutely, definitively, yes, somebody is praying for you. Two people are, and they have unparalleled access to the Father. And they pray perfect prayers. Perfect prayers every single time for you, specifically, individually for you. They pray with fervency. They pray with knowledge and understanding. They are praying perfectly for you. Let me introduce these two people to you this morning. Look with me in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at two verses today, 26 and 34. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs uh, in front of you. Grab one or have somebody hand it to you. We want to all be able to read along together as we look at this, study together. We're continuing to work our way through this great letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We've been in... uh, Romans 8, this is the third sermon, two more, a lot in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says there, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And then down in verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also, like the Spirit, He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. 
Now verse 26 started off by saying, in the same way. Maybe your translation says likewise. Likewise, in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, you might remember last time we were in Romans 8, we looked at verses 18 to 25, and we saw in verse 18 that incredible promise. Look at it again there, folks. That guarantee for your life and for my life that whatever kind of suffering we go through in this world. Have you suffered in this world? Man, think about some of the things that you would call, that, that was me suffering. That was my sufferings. Think about some of the things you've read in the paper or seen on the news. I mean, there, there are some people who go through some pretty horrible things on this planet, aren't there? Think about the suffering. Romans 8.18 promises that no matter what the suffering is, no matter what you have endured, it cannot be compared to that moment that you step into God's presence. To that moment that you step into your reward. That moment that you step into heaven. Now think about that statement. Can't be compared. Not worth comparing. You know what folks? You can compare a ton of bricks to a feather. A ton of bricks is 2,000 pounds and a feather is, I don't know, an ounce? Now that's awfully far apart, but you can compare that. Uh, you can compare an ounce to 2,000 pounds. What Romans 8.18 is saying is there's no spectrum, there's no scale that can measure the difference between the suffering we go through in this world and the glory that is to come. It can't be compared. That's pretty good news, isn't it? I mean, I give you a little bit of hope to hang on and take on another day. But that day's not today, is it? It's, it's, it's not yet. It could be. I'm not saying it won't be today. I'm just saying it's you and I sit here, stand here right now. That day's not today. We still live in this world where there's, where there's suffering. And that's what a lot of, of the rest of that passage, verse 19 on to 25, was about. As a matter of fact, the, the key word there was groaning. We groan. Well, think about the different ways we can groan, folks. You can groan under the, the weight of something. It's heavy. It's, 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 what is on me is heavy. Man, you can, you can groan in pain. Oh, gosh. Then there's a groan. I don't know if I can make this, lo- this noise. It's, it's almost inaudible. You can't almost hear it. It's the groan of loneliness. The groan of hurt and rejection. There are a lot of ways we groan. A lot of reasons that we groan. In this world, folks, we groan. This planet is broken. And we groan waiting for the day that God is going to fix it. In the same way. You got it now? How did our verse just start off? In the way, in the same way that you and I live in this world, live in this suffering, wait for and anticipate the day it's going to be fixed, we groan in the same way the Holy Spirit groans. Says there that He comes alongside us, that He endures with us. He literally walks through the suffering, experiences the suffering to the point that He groans with us. That is so important to understand that. So important to see that. I tell you, to me, there's a very unfortunate interpretation. Now, this is an opinion. This is an opinion of interpretation. But there are some in the Christian faith who use this one verse, and there's not many. They use this one verse to communicate that there's a private prayer language. 
That there's a speaking in tongues, not of known languages, but of, uh, of no language that can be understood. It's just kind of mutterings. And, and this verse is, a, look, there's the Holy Spirit and he's, he's speaking in these groanings and that comes out as speaking in tongues. Folks, that's not anything like what this is talking about. Read the verse. Groanings that are what? Unspoken. They're not coming out of my mouth. And the groaning is not about prayer right here. The groaning is an identification with our life. If you turn that into speaking in tongues, you're missing the power of knowing that God knows where you are. That God knows what you're experiencing. The concept here is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside and as He groans with us, He experiences what we're experiencing. He hurts where we hurt. And from the fullness of that knowledge, He goes before the Father to pray. He is praying with a full and total understanding of your suffering. I think probably the closest way I could explain this is maybe like a parent hurts for a child. Have some of you been there? Might be a small child, might be an adult child. But that child's getting their teeth kicked in right now. And, and, and you hurt for them. You ache for them. And maybe it's not a child. Maybe it's a mate. Maybe it's a close friend. Have you, have you hurt for somebody? They were suffering. And as you watched it, as you walked through that with them, it's almost like you felt the pain yourself. Have you ever noticed that when we're like that, this is usually the statement that comes out of our mouth. I wish I could do something. You're hurting with them, you're aching with them, and you're thinking, I wish I could do more. I, I wish I could do something right here. Folks, that's not the words coming out of the Holy Spirit's mouth. He's not hurting and aching with us and thinking, gosh, I wish I could, I wish I could do more. No, when he groans, it is with purpose. It's to be there with us, to understand it, and then to carry that knowledge and to pray to the Father in the fullness of that understanding, in the fullness of that emotion and experience. And yes, I believe the Holy Spirit is praying, you know, that it gets fixed, that it gets corrected, that there's guidance, that there's healing, that there's provision, that it's changed, that it's reconciled. I believe He's praying all of those things. But I think a big part of what He's praying is that our mind and heart would be synced together with the heart and mind of God. Because folks, ultimately in life, the big thing is not the answer. The big thing is not that getting fixed. The big thing is that we have and know the heart and mind of God. I tell you, when we start to see the Holy Spirit's prayer being answered in our life, it's when you and I can begin to find God in the darkness. When, when we just have a moment of seeing some purpose, seeing some meaning in what appears to be so random and meaningless. When we begin to look for and to see good in the midst of so much bad, Folks, that's when our mind is being synced up with the mind of God. The Holy Spirit is praying for you today. But not just Him. Verse 34 says, who else is praying for us? Jesus, man, the very Son of God. And there's a different focus in, from where He prays. With the Holy Spirit, it was from emotion. It was from experience. It was from where we are. But look at verse 34. As it introduces the idea that Jesus is praying for us, the focus is on His death, His resurrection, and where He now resides at the right hand of God. That phrase, the right hand, right hand of the king, right hand of that person, in this case, the right hand of God, that's a title. That's a position. That is a, a place of authority. So as Jesus intercedes from you, He is doing that from a position of authority. Picture somebody here that is before the court. 
They're before the judge and they're keeping your case before that judge. They're keeping your case before the courts and they do that from a position of authority. So see the picture now. You have two people praying for you. One of those goes before the Father and prays in a fullness of your experience, your emotion, and your suffering. They've been there. They've seen it. They know it. And out of that pours forth the most perfect prayer. And then there's also Jesus. Now, He's not praying from emotion. He's praying from a position of authority. And it is from authority that He begins to make the case before the Father for you. Now, as I paint that scenario, oh my gosh, don't picture the Spirit and the Son trying to gang up on the Father. Boy, the Spirit and the Son love you and they're really after what's good for you. Boy, if we can just get this cold, emotionless Father to do something. Boy, if we could just get Him on board. Okay, Jesus, you say this and Spirit, you say this and we'll see if we... Folks, it's the Father who authored this whole thing. It's the Father who designed all this. It is the entire triune Godhead that loves you, that sees you, that cares for you, and is praying for you. What an awesome thought. I will not live a single moment this week in which the Godhead is not working on my behalf, in which the Spirit and the Son are not praying for me. Now, honestly, that can be very encouraging on one hand, but then there's another part of us that says... Well, does, does that actually mean anything? I mean, do I get anything out of this? Is it going to get fixed? Is it going to be made better? Oh, folks, absolutely. That's exactly what it means. It may mean the miracle is right around the corner. It may mean the provision is being deposited right now. It may mean what is going to reconcile, what is going to fix, what is going to make all this right. Those circumstances are being lined up right now. The answer to the prayer is coming into place right now. You might not realize it till Thursday, but right now it's being moved into place. Or it could be that what is about to come is strength and endurance and an emboldened faith. Because the answer is going to be no. The answer is going to be not yet. But folks, from wherever that answer comes, it comes from perfection. It comes from goodness. It is from God's love. Do you realize He can't give you an answer that doesn't come out of His love? I'm not saying every time that we see it, that we wouldn't say, well, this is how I would do it if I was in love. But God's not going to give you an answer that does not come forth from His perfect knowledge and His love. Folks, it is the entire triune Godhead that is working for you and praying for you. What an incredible thought. I don't know if you're here today and, and you're like, man, I, nobody knows. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I haven't told anybody. Nobody knows what I'm experiencing. Nobody knows how I'm hurting. Nobody, nobody's praying for me. Nobody cares. Let me tell you something. Reject that thought. And don't reject it as your thought. Oh, that's a bad thought. That's a wrong thought. Stop thinking that way. No, you reject that thought as the whispers of Satan. Because that's where it comes from. That's his work. Satan's work is to get you to doubt God, and if not God, then His goodness. He's been doing it since Genesis chapter 3. Go look at his strategy. It's very clear. God doesn't exist, and if He does, He doesn't care about you. 
He's not good. So when those kinds of thoughts start rolling through there, you're not listening to yourself. I mean, who do you trust more than your own voice? And that's how Satan disguises himself, right behind your own voice. Reject that as a lie. Because the truth is, God loves you, sees you, hears you, cares for you. And maybe a little bit beyond our comprehension, God is praying to God for you. Think about that. You know, have you ever, have you ever been praying and thought, I, you know, I wonder if my prayers are getting beyond the ceiling, really, honestly. You know what? The answer is yes, but that's a whole nother sermon. But I can guarantee you this, Jesus' prayers get beyond the ceiling because there is no ceiling. He's at the right hand of God. Amen. The Holy Spirit's prayers get beyond the ceiling. Do you possibly doubt that at all? It doesn't matter where your prayers go. And by the way, they go straight to the throne of God. But I guarantee you, regardless of your faith in your own prayer, Jesus' prayers get there. The Holy Spirit's prayers get there. Have you ever thought, man, I wonder if I'm praying the right thing? I mean, honestly, I, I feel... I feel so stupid when I pray. I don't know if this is the right thing to say. I don't know if I'm using the right words. I don't know if I've taken the right class. Folks, you're not praying stupid prayers, but let me tell you this. Jesus absolutely knows how to pray. That's why they call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus absolutely knows how to pray. The Holy Spirit absolutely knows how to pray. They pray in wisdom. They pray in knowledge. They pray in the perfection of knowing God the Father's will. They pray perfectly for you. Every word is a perfect prayer. So what does that mean to us today? What does that mean tomorrow morning when I get up and I head into a new day and a new week. What, what does that mean that I now have this knowledge, this understanding that, that Jesus and the Spirit are praying for me? You know what it means? It means I can rest. Now, by rest, I don't mean I don't need to pray anymore. It's covered. No, I want to join them as they pray for me. It doesn't mean that I stop working, that I stop striving, that I stop doing what God has called me to do in this world. It doesn't mean I rest from that. You know what it does mean I rest from? Worry. You know, I've prayed about this. Maybe it's a good prayer. Maybe it's not a good prayer. But you know what? The Spirit's prayed for it. And His is a perfect prayer. Jesus has prayed for it. I know God has heard perfect prayers on this. So I can, I can rest. I don't have to worry. I don't have to go out tomorrow. You ever done this? Pray about something, but then go right on trying to manipulate it and make it happen like you want? I, I don't have to rest. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't have to worry. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to be anxious. Man, God's, God's heard my prayer. And anywhere I miss, the Spirit and Son have picked it up. One from His authority and one from an emotional understanding of where I am and where I've been. Rest. And how good is that to know? No more than you. I don't know everything tomorrow holds. I got a schedule. I, got, I think I know what I'm doing tomorrow. But I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what this week holds. But I know this. Jesus is praying for me. The Holy Spirit is praying for me. Should that not give a sense of confidence as I see what tomorrow opens up? Should that not give a greater sense of purpose and a greater sense of excitement? Because I'm always living. I'm always living in the answer of God's prayer to God. Let's pray.
Those two verses have been there for 2,000 years, Lord. There, there's never, I've never existed a single second on this planet when that truth had not been revealed. And yet I, like so many others, can sink down into this idea that nobody understands us, nobody cares, nobody's been where we've been. I can only help but think, Father, that breaks your heart as you're saying, I sent my son right to where you are. I sent my son there to experience the rejection and the physical pain and the being misunderstood and the falsely accused and the beaten and the bruised and the murdered. I sent him there so we would absolutely know where you are and what you've been through. I sent my Holy Spirit to live in you and he literally groans, he aches out of his love for you with the pain that you're doing. And yet, God, we will spend day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, thinking we're all alone in this. I'm sorry I treat this as some new truth that's being revealed. There's nothing new in what I just said. It's always been there. And too many mornings we've woken up not with a sense of confidence and purpose, not with the joy of knowing that we've been loved and prayed for, but we go out acting like we've never been prayed for, never been loved or cared for, and we act like it. We just make things worse. God, forgive us for not studying Your Word, living in light of Your Word, but rather, God, give us a a sense of excitement and a sense of joy. Yeah, this world's broken. Yeah, we could have some suffering this week. But whatever I'm called to go through, I will go through with the prayers and the love of the Spirit and the Son. So let's do this, God. Let's do it together to your glory, to your honor. And when it's done, I pray what I want more than an answer is you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.